John 20, 1 through 8. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. But she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said those things to her. This is the word of God. Good morning, family of God. As we this morning grieve with those in Sri Lanka who lost their lives, we in Oklahoma City are not immune to grief. Two days ago, we commemorated on April 19th a tragic event in our nation's history the greatest act of domestic terrorism in our country with the Murrah bombing down, uh, downtown. April 19th, 19 children were killed, lost their lives. 19 parents had to give back what God had given to them. 168 people went to work or went to do business and didn't make it back home. That's our story. That's our history. To live in Oklahoma City is to live in light of April 19th, 1995. The question that we may wrestle with on this Easter is, where do we find hope in the darkness? 
where do we find resolve to live in light of the resurrection when there is so much death and despair all around? How do we live today in light of what we just prayed about? How do we live with resurrection resolve? Now this morning in our text, we have two central characters. One is Mary Magdalene, Mary of Magdala. She is a famous woman in the Gospels because she is named in every single Gospel as being the one who is standing watching the incarnate Son of God be crucified, be hung on a cross by Roman soldiers. She watches him be taken down by Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. She watches them take him into a tomb, into a garden, and put him into a borrowed tomb. She watches as they roll the stone over the entrance. She stands in the face of the terror of the Roman army, and she stands with bold courage and resilient resolve. And then she goes home, and she rests on the Sabbath, and she comes back, and early in the morning, she's back. All the men are hiding, but this woman is back, back to the place of death, back to the place of despair, back to the place of grief. This is Mary Magdalene. Now, there's two reasons why she shouldn't be here. She shouldn't be in this story. One, she's a woman. A woman's word does not even stand up in court. If she's a witness, it doesn't even matter. It's not accessible. It's not admittable. Two, we read in Luke 8, that this Mary Magdalene is the same one from whom seven demons were cast out. Seven demons. This woman has a past that is full of shame and isolation that she's not proud of. In fact, Jesus, when he speaks about someone who is demon-possessed, he says that when that person is cleansed in Luke 11, when that person is cleansed and they don't fill that back with me, they'll bring seven demons just like it, and that place will be worse than the first. That state will be worse than the first. Mary Magdalene had some issues that she couldn't solve for herself, but Jesus could, and Jesus did. He took seven demons out of this woman, gave her a brand new start. And now she is mentioned in the Gospels as one of the women who not only walked with Jesus, but who supported Jesus in his ministry. She went from no status to having status in the eyes of the Son of God. This is what Jesus can do. There's no reason we should give to argue with why she was so committed, with why she's willing to stand in front of the Roman army, giving witness to the bloody 
wound on the cross is because she's been liberated by the Son of God. If you have ever experienced God taking you from the darkness of your sin and freeing you from that anger, that lust, that greed, and bringing you to freedom, then you know something about Mary Magdalene's testimony. If you have ever gone from the depth of your depravity, not being able to do anything with the sin you see in your own heart, to having victory, you know something about the testimony of Mary Magdalene. But Mary Magdalene, though she is one of the characters in this story, is not the central character in this story. How do I know? Because she would say the same thing. How do I know she would say it? Because she did. Look with me in verse... 18, Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen who? I have seen the Lord. Mary Magdalene has her, found her testimony in the central character in her life who is Jesus, the Lord. Now, Jesus isn't just a central character in this story. His cross and resurrection isn't just the climax of the book of John. The cross and resurrection of Jesus is the climax of the entire narrative of Scripture. From Genesis chapter 3, we find humanity rejecting the Word of God. And because of that, having broken relationship with God. And then we see Jesus, the Word of God, allowing himself to be rejected in order to restore relationship with God for us. Jesus is the turning point. Jesus is the climax. This is the most important story we could ever tell. This is the best news we've ever heard. It should give us resurrection resolve. Well, I want to look at what's going on in this story And what we're going to find is that Jesus is totally, totally capable of meeting us in our darkness, in our confusion, in our despair, and giving us himself and with him resurrection resolve. Jesus is totally able to meet us in our darkness, in our confusion, in our despair, and give us himself, and then with him to give us resurrection resolve. Let's look at it and see it in our story. Verse 1, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. Mary is in the dark, literally in the dark. She is in the dark. It is dark outside. We already talked about where she has been. She was on Golgotha's hill. She saw where he was laid. Now she finds herself early in the morning walking through a garden tomb in the dark. Now, if it were my choice, I wouldn't be walking through a cemetery in the dark. That's just not how I roll. That's That's not what I do. I don't go places like this in the dark because in the dark is the place where things I don't want to happen, happen. Now, I'm very familiar with this right now because my son 
is going through a stage in which he's recognizing how scary darkness can be. Now, for him right now, that looks like calling me up in the middle of the night and saying, Daddy, pray the dinosaurs don't scare me. And when I pray the dinosaurs don't scare him, he says, Daddy, pray the lions don't scare me. And when I pray the lions don't scare him, he says, Daddy, pray the rabbits don't scare me. There's some terror in the dark. Now, what I haven't told him yet is that this phase isn't going to end when he turns three. Because in 30 years or so, he may still call me up and say, Daddy, move your stuff out of the living room so I don't stub my toe on the picture frame you have lying against the wall, which happened to me about two weeks ago. Darkness is a scary place for all of us. Now, for some of you, it's not just in the physical darkness, but it is in the darkness of your situation. Some of you might find yourself right now in the middle of a dark place, in a dark place that says, I don't know what to do with life right now. Life doesn't seem to make sense. I thought I knew what was going on. I thought I was walking in the day, but it feels a lot more like night. And that's what we see happening with Mary. Mary goes to the tomb in the dark, and she saw the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Now, let's look at this and see what's going on. Mary, walking through a cemetery at night. I want you to picture this. I want you to picture yourself either over on 44th and Agnew, or 44th and Villa, in that Czechoslovakian cemetery that I've never been inside, or... At Walker, where it dead ends at 104th. And I want you to picture yourself rolling up, parking your car, and walking into that cemetery at night. Pitch black, no, no moonlight. You see a pile of dirt. You walk up to that dirt. You look down next to the dirt, and there's a hole in the ground. And you look at the hole in the ground, and you look in and you see a casket. And you look closer at that casket, and the lid is open, and nothing is inside. Sometimes the dark just gets darker. When the darkness turns to fear because you didn't find what you expected. That may happen in a relationship where you go to reconcile. You've, you, it's been in the dark and you go to reconcile and that person wants to have nothing to do with you. It may happen where you've been searching for employment and you finally get that job only to find that it wasn't all it was cracked up to be. It may happen that you've been struggling through infertility and you finally conceive and then the womb is blocked again. You go from darkness to darker darkness. And you may ask the question, what do I do now? Where do I go? Who do I run to? That's right, Mr. Webb. But Mary doesn't go there yet. Verse 3, she ran and went to Simon Peter, the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. She ran to Simon and when she gets to Simon, she runs to John. And when she gets to John, she gets there and says, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Mary comes to her own conclusions. This is Mary, the one who had the resolve. This is Mary, the one who was willing to stand at the cross in front of the Roman army and say, I bear witness to this man. And now Mary is the one who is running scared back to the disciples. 
not afraid or not secure in, in, in Jesus' promises. I want you to look back with me in John chapter 14. In John 14, Jesus gives his disciples this promise. In verse 19, he says, Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. He has told them, I'm going away, but I'm coming back, and I'm going to be alive. And yet now Mary is confused. She's not just in darkness, but now she's confused, and she's saying, they've taken away my Lord. They've stolen him. I don't know what to do with this. I came back to my situation that was dark, and now it's even darker, and now I don't know what to do. They've taken away my Lord, my hope. is disintegrating. This might be familiar territory. Because it actually describes all of our condition. There's this theme in the book of John and this theme in the Bible of darkness and light. From the very beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and You keep reading it, this darkness was over the face of the deep. There's darkness in the world. But then God speaks, his word goes out, and his word acts to bring forth light. And then we see in John chapter 1, we read these words. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not understand it. It doesn't comprehend it. It doesn't overcome it. The darkness is blinded by the light. Jesus is the light. Jesus is the word made flesh who brings the light into the world. There's this theme of darkness and light, and yet, in our darkness... We can forget the light. In our darkness, we can forget that God is the God who, for whom there is no darkness. Even darkness is not dark to you. But Mary forgets this. Verse 3, Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. They book it, and they are running to the tomb. And when they, and they run, they run, they run, and John says, outruns Peter. And we don't know why he outruns him. It could be that he's younger and faster. It could be that he was there on Friday, and Peter was hiding, and so he knows where he's going. If you follow GPS, you get there a lot faster than if you don't. So he's, he's going to the tomb, and he gets there, and when John gets there, it says he stoops to look in. We've got we to think it's got to be light by now. He stoops to look in. Now, we know that the entrance to this tomb is about three feet off the ground, who is about three feet tall. So you've got to stoop to look in. He looks in, and he sees linen cloths. But something about this is off. But he doesn't go in. We don't know why he doesn't go in, but he doesn't go in. And then Peter gets there, Simon Peter, the one who is the first off the boat walking on the water, the one who uh, in the next chapter is going to be the first into the water to go see Jesus, He gets there and he goes straight into the tomb. Maybe some impulsiveness. But he goes in the tomb and when he gets in there, he sees linen cloths lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head. Not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Now, it's folded up in a place by itself. This is the linen cloth that probably would have been wrapped around 
the, the, the dead person to keep their jaw on. And it wouldn't have been tied to the linens that were across the body. But yet he goes in and he sees that the linen cloths are laying here. And separate from that is the cloth that went around his head. And it's folded up neatly by himself. So Mary said that somebody probably came and stole the body. But if they stole the body, they would have done one or two things. They either would have stolen the body, taken the linens, which would have been expensive, and taken the spices that also would have been expensive. There's 75 pounds of myrrh and aloes from, from chapter 19. Would have taken that. Or they would have taken the body and left the linens, but they wouldn't have bothered to fold it up. Why not? Because the stone was already taken away from the entrance. They're not going to bother to take time to fold it up. So Mary's testimony can't be true. It couldn't have been stolen. So now the question is, what happened to the body? Where is Jesus? Now this is the question that Peter and John now have, but it's also the question that Mary had, right? question we might have walking into any dark situation that we're in in our life is I come back to the situation but I might get there and find out yo where is Jesus where is Jesus this is the last place that I saw him now I don't want to come back with you if if for some reason some of you have experienced this where where, where you may be um, walking with Jesus for a little while and then and then uh, 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 you get pulled aside a little bit and you wonder you, 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 you find yourself at the end of yourself and you wonder where should I go? It's a good idea to go back where you last saw him. It's a good idea to call up that person that's been praying for you. It's a good idea to go back to the church house. It's a good idea to go back to that neighborhood Bible study. If you fall from, from, from wherever you were, it's a good idea to go back to where you were. But Mary Magdalene comes back to where she is and when she gets there, Jesus isn't there. And now Peter and John get there and Jesus isn't there. Where is the body? Now verse 8 says that John comes in and when he comes in, he sees and he believes. He sees the empty tomb. He sees the linens. He sees the face cloth and he believes. Now scholars have wrestled over what is it that he believes. Does he believe that what Mary Magdalene said, he took away the, they took the Lord out of the tomb? Probably not because he just gave reason to believe that's not the case. Did he believe that all the Old Testament prophecies about who Jesus was going to be, about the Christ suffering and dying and then coming back to life, and he's the fulfillment of all those prophecies? Probably not because the next verse says they did not yet understand the scripture. So what is it that John, John believes? Well, we're not all the way certain, probably something about him not being there, but him being alive. But what we see here, what we do know is that the disciples don't certainly know what's going on. Sometimes when you go run to somebody for help, like Mary Magdalene did for Peter and John, you get there and they don't know anything about what to do either. They're just as confused as you were. Peter and John. The ones who have heard from the beginning, Jesus is the light of the world. The Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. He is the bread of heaven. He is the water of life. Before Abraham was, he was. He is the resurrection of the life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the vine who gives you sustenance. And yet, here they are confused about who Jesus is. Even his disciples are confused. And then something tragic happens. Look in verse 10. 
the disciples went back home. For Mary Magdalene, the darkness that got darker just got darker. She goes from darkness to confusion and misunderstanding, and now she is in despair. Look at verse 11. Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. She's weeping. And as she wept, she stooped to look inside the tomb. Now the question is, why is she weeping? Why is she crying? Well, verse 13, asks the same question. Woman, why are you weeping? And she says, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. This is a lot like what she said in verse 2 when she said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. But now she says, they have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they have laid him. She's gone from, we don't know where he is, but now I don't know where he is. I am isolated. We find Mary Magdalene alone, by herself, with those that should have been able to help her, should have been able to give her spiritual counsel, and now she is left grieving in anguish by herself in a graveyard. Talk about from low to lower to lowest. Mary is in despair. They've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. You ever been there? To a place where you didn't even know how to get yourself out? And those who are supposed to know don't know how to get you out either? That's a hard and a dark place to be. And it might lead you to despair. What should lead you to resurrection resolve may lead you to despair. It did it for Mary Magdalene. She didn't know where to turn. So she turned around, and what she found was the grace of God in the midst of her despair. Look at this. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she didn't know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? That's the question he's been asking us in the whole book of John. If you go back to John, the question he's been asking since Exodus, right? Who do you say that I am? Pharaoh. Who do you say that I am? Moses. Who do you say that I am? Gideon. Who do you say that I am? David. Who do you say that I am? Peter. Who do you say that I am? Church. Who are you looking for? She thinks he's the gardener, which he is, the only one who can prune her soul. And she says, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. Jesus finds her. She doesn't know where to go. She's in the darkness that got darker, that got despairingly dark. And Jesus found her. Jesus came to her. And when he gets to her, he doesn't say, don't you know who I am? Don't you recognize me? Didn't you know that I would find you? What does he say? He says, Mary. Mary. 
He doesn't say Mary Magdalene. Mary of Magdala. He doesn't say Mary, the one from whom I cast out seven demons. Jesus knew that neither her title nor her description were her true identity. Her background, her shame, wasn't who she was anymore. She is married to him. And she, he calls her by name. Now, John 10, 3 through 4 told us this is what he does. In John 10, we read this. He says, the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought them out, brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. Mary knows the voice of Jesus. And so she responds, look at verse 16. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni. She responds in her heart language. In the language that she speaks with a title of endearing respect and says, Rabboni. Her longings, satisfied. Her fears, quenched. Her despair, hopeful. Why? Because Jesus knows her name. Church, do you believe that Jesus knows your name? Yes, I do. Thank you, Mr. Webb. Do you know Jesus knows your name? Do you know that what you did last week that you regret? What you said last night that you regret? What you thought this morning that you regret? Jesus is intimately aware of it, and he's not afraid of it. He knows your name. He knows where you are, even when you don't know where he is. He knows where to find you when you don't know where to find him. He knows the language you speak, and he understands it. He doesn't even have to translate it. He just understands it. He knows the secret parts of your soul. And he loves you. And he calls you by name. Verse 17 has given people problems for a long time. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me for I have not yet ascended to my father. What does he mean by don't cling to me? He's going to tell Thomas next chapter. He's going to say, put your hands in my hand. Put your, or your fingers in my hand. Put your, your hand in my side. Why is he telling Mary Magdalene to not cling to him? Is it because she's a woman? Well, obviously not. Is it because she's had suffered with demon possession? Oh, of course not. He knows her name. One scholar describes this situation this way. He says, the desire to hold Jesus must be restrained because it is an attempt to recapture the conditions of the incarnate life in place of the universal and abiding relationship, which is the object of his mission. Let me read that again. The desire to hold on to Jesus, to cling to Jesus, to keep holding on to Jesus by Mary must be restrained 
because it is an attempt to recapture the conditions of the incarnate life in place of the universal and abiding relationship, which is the object of his mission. Why doesn't Jesus want Mary to cling to him? Because it's not close enough. If you just hug my outside, you can't get close enough to me. Mary, let me go. Let me go. Let me go. I can't stay here. I'm ascending to my father. And when I go to my father, I got some promises for you. I articulated them a few chapters back. I'm not sure if you were there, but I articulated them. One, I'm going, if I ascend to my father, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And when I prepare a place for you, I'm going to go. I'm going to call you to be back with me so you may be with me where I am. There is eternal life for you. That's why you can't cling to me. I got better plans for you in a better place than where you are right now. But why else? Because if I go, John 16, if I go, it is better for you because I will send you my comforter who will be with you always to the end of the age. I will be with you by the power of my spirit if I go to the Father. Mary, don't cling to me. Not because I don't want you to touch me. Don't cling to me because I want to be even deeper in your life. I want to go deeper. I want you to abide in me as I abide in my Father. I want you to be with me always, not just while I'm on earth. See, while Jesus was on earth, everywhere he went, the presence of God went. But when he goes to the Father, wherever his people go, wherever you are, if you're in Christ, Jesus is already there. Now, he doesn't just say, he doesn't just say, don't cling to me. I'm going to my father. But then he gives her a commission. that he seems to walk in with resurrection resolve. Look at the rest of verse 17. It says, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. This is awesome. Jesus gives this woman, this woman who has a, a sketchy past and says, I want you to go be the first eyewitness of me. I want you to go be the first evangelist, giving them the good news that I have risen from the grave. I want you to go with a fourfold message. One, that these disciples are no longer just students. These are my brothers. They will share the inheritance with me in light. They are going to be with me. They're going to get what I deserved. I earned it for them. They are my brothers. Not just my servants. They are my brothers. Second piece of news. Go tell them I am ascending. I am keeping my word. I told them I was going to go before him. I told them they're going to come with me where I'm going. But now I'm going there. I am keeping my promise. Third thing, I'm going to my father and your father. Every promise that was given to me is a new relationship of adoption. You are welcome in my family now. Go tell them that the same father that I have is their father. Not the same relationship. He's the only begotten son of God. But he's invited us into that relationship with his father to my God and your God. The same God who glorified himself in me is the, is the God I want to glorify himself in you. Go give him this message, Mary. Don't cling to me. I got better plans for you. Go give him this message. And look what Mary does. Mary went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and everything else he's there. Mary is a witness. 
Jesus is totally able to meet you in your darkness and to bring you light. He is totally able to meet you in your confusion and to give you understanding. But even when you don't have understanding and you despair, he is even able to meet you there and give you hope and to give you himself and to give you good work to do that he's going to give you resolve to accomplish. On this Easter day in Oklahoma City and as a Christian in the world, there could be a lot to mourn. But on Easter Sunday and really every Lord's Day, and really, what day isn't the day the Lord has made? Every day, we can walk in the hope of the light of the world. Because Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. Bow your heads with me. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you so much for Jesus Thank you that when we think we're the center of our story, you replace us with Jesus. I pray that here today with every head bowed and eye closed, that Lord, you would show us in our hearts where are we trying to be the center Where are we trying to be the climax? And Lord, we just surrender to Jesus this morning. Help us by your grace to walk in the light and in the resolve of the resurrection. To not be dominated or just identify with our past or our shame or our our guilt, but to cling to rest in Jesus who frees us to walk in light of the resurrection. We thank you for the hope that we have. We thank you for Jesus who came back to life. Thank you for the promise that we will too. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.